Welcome to The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis. I am your host, Cicely Davis. Sellout, race trading coon, spear chucking suck up, shine, doormat race puppet, black white supremacist, and one of my favorites, ignorant Oreo bed wench. Ouch. <laughs> These are names and insults that were hurled at me because of my stance to refuse and reject the victim status. I'm still Christian, I'm still black, and I'm still loving America. Now, whether or not I still hold a license to be black in America remains to be seen. I'll talk to you about all that coming up right now on The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis. Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to another episode. This is The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis. I am your host, Cicely, and I have the honor and opportunity to share my experiences, my perspectives, and insight on our American societal decline and how we can all, through information and discussion, and most importantly, action and voting, restore America back to its traditional reigning glory. And I do that on a weekly basis with some savage truths about race and media and government, current leadership, and, of course, and always, culture. As always, I express my sincere gratitude to all listeners, and I ask that you invite others. Please like and share and subscribe and leave a positive review on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Now, I started out this episode with some pretty offensive insults. Those were some pretty harsh words. Oh, to be white male conservative or black conservative in America today. Now, these were insults and derogatory names thrown at me from individuals who listened to the podcast for the first time, some black people who were in agreement um, when I covered the episode about LeBron James's failed school attempt i.e. the failure of the students of LeBron's I Promise School he launched with much fanfare in 2018, where not a single student from the school's inaugural third grade class, now entering the eighth grade this fall, have ever, they have never, ever passed Ohio's state math test. And they agreed with me. You know, the comments that I was getting from these people was, yeah, that's terrible. LeBron can do better. That's failing our kids. But they completely disagreed with 100% of all the other episodes and its subject matter. Now, my savagely truthful statements as backed by research and data and facts, mind you, those episodes rendered me a sellout. So when I spoke about reparations, you know, about the fact that it's never really going to happen, that the entire notion of it is ridiculous, the premise of it is ridiculous, especially with those within those states that have never actually had slavery in it, that rendered me a sellout. When I spoke about black on black crime and the greater likelihood for police officers to be shot in black neighborhoods, that black men in particular kill more blacks than any other group. I was called a shine that welfare contributes to immorality by rewarding fatherlessness. I was called a sellout when I talked about fatherlessness as being one of the main contributors to the decline of American society. 
I was called a traitor to the race because I'm singling out blacks in this country is what they were saying to me. Now, when I told the savage truth that blacks disproportionately commit more crimes in this country than any other racial group, I was called a whitey suck up. When I talked about abortion and its impact to the black race, that it has literally staggered the black population in America. And I talked about Obama and his wife and their negative impact on race relations in this country. I was told I was being self-loathing, that I hate myself and I hate my own race and I hate my own black skin. And what specifically, what is it that I said or what was that trigger and what about what I have said has caused me to be called such things? You know, especially in receiving these kind of judgments from people who were basically saying that they represented the entire black race. And here it is specifically, folks, so you can hear it from me. Okay, I want you to hear it from me. This is what was said to me very specifically. Even if all of what you're saying is true and backed up by facts, you're breaking black code by airing our dirty laundry. In other words, we can know it, but don't say it out loud. Don't make it public. Don't point it out or don't call it out for all to see. You know, we have to keep up appearances. We have to keep up the lie. We have to keep up the front, keep up the facade, you know, go along with black code and don't put anyone or the black race itself on blast, right? My dad used to have a saying, don't put my business out on front street, okay? So this is what the entire notion is. This, even if it exists and we know it does, right? We understand that there's black on black crime. We know that black men are killing black men in staggering numbers, right? We know that, but we're gonna turn our heads and say nothing. But if a black person dies supposedly at the hands of a white cop, then we're going to raise all holy hell, right? But don't point that out. So ignore the fact, okay? Ignore the facts. Ignore the fact that a billionaire basketball player provided uniforms and bikes and laptops and an entire wing dedicated to a family resource center and all the resources and partnerships and amenities to support educational success Yet those kids entering the eighth grade haven't progressed from the third grade and they can't pass an Ohio State math test today. Ignore that fact. And by the way, let me just break that down for you really quickly here. So in the third grade, if for those of you who it's been a long time like me since we've been in the third grade in grade school, the expectations for math in the, in the third grade is that students need to know addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and fact families. They need to do two-step um, math equations, and they need to know how to read and write large numbers through the hundred thousands. Okay, so we're dealing with decimal points, knowing the tenths, the hundredth, the thousandth, the ten thousandth, the hundred thousandths, you know, behind the decimal point. By the time they get to the seventh grade, because as you know, we're building upon whatever you learn from the second, you take to the third and you build upon and you build upon. And so by the time they get to the seventh grade and out and entering into the eighth grade, they need to know names and numerals for integers, decimals, ratios, percentages, and exponents. And they need to learn to read and express whole figures and decimals in extended form. They also need to know numerical forms, okay? So those students 
entered into that school at that time in 2018, those students who were third graders graduated and entering into the eighth grade never passed a math test in Ohio. Now, the importance of all of this is that one of my main points when I was running for Congress here in Minnesota's 5th Congressional District um, was that I had always made the point when it came to education that we needed to completely dismantle the Department of Education. It is a useless entity. Useless. All they do is run standardized tests, to which has always been proven, particularly in with public school and the public school system for children attending public school, dismal results, dismal. These children are not graduating and ready to compete um, by the time they get out of high school. So, you know, the argument has always been from black people when I would say that was, yeah, well, the reason why the white students do better in suburbs and private schools is because they have all the resources and they have everything over there in the suburbs. They've got community centers and they have sports and they have uniforms and they have you know, support from the students and they have partnerships in the community. And so LeBron provided that. In 2018, this man set it up. So the students not only had uniforms and they had laptops and all the equipment and the technology, he also created an entire wing for a resource center so that those parents could find jobs and learn skills that they needed. It provided food and clothing and helped with housing issues and partnerships within the community. They had all the resources and the amenities that they said the white students had or the white kids had in the suburbs and yet still failure. Okay. So that's the significance of that. And yes, I went over this in that episode. So I'm supposed to just ignore that. You know, we have to ignore that. Just ignore the black literacy rates across this country and the graduation rates, right? Just ignore that black churches present as unified in faith, but divided by their stances on abortion. Hence the support of Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock. Stacey Abrams, by the way, a daughter, okay, a daughter of two pastors and Raphael Warnock, Senator who was a pastor in the church in Atlanta, Georgia, the very same church, by the way, that was headed by Martin Luther, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. These are two people who believe in abortion, claim to be, you know, born again, fire and brimstone type Christians. Okay. Crazy. But you're supposed to just ignore that, you know, don't ask, don't tell, just go along. This is the black monolith. Now, my conversation with particularly two individuals, so this is a group of people in a room, is about 20 to 25 people who were really kind of yelling at me. But there were two people, one male, one female, who were kind of upfront who really started this engagement. Um, and so people started hearing and started picking up more and more people. Um, they actually um, were pretty calm. It didn't get too heated. The name calling was actually coming from the back. Um, and so typically I tend not to get upset and hot and bothered. I find it entertaining to watch other people kind of lose control, especially when it comes to black issues. In fact, it usually ends with them becoming all hot and bothered under the collar, not me. But the takeaway was that my black membership card was in jeopardy and that I've spent way too much time away from real black folks and need to get back and reacquainted in order to learn the real black issues or the real issues facing black Americans today. Yeah. 
Now, I really need to take a pause here in order to clarify some things. And it's probably worth doing a show in the future um, to really kind of point things out and kind of create some segment here. So clearly, folks, I don't mean, I'm sure you know this, but in case you don't know me, I'm clearly not talking about the entire Black population in America. Okay, I'm very specifically talking about the black underclass. Now, there is a part of me that has realized and learned a long time ago that you really shouldn't even engage the black underclass. But there's another part of me, a stronger part of me, the better part of me recognizes that backing down and backing away from these conversations is actually the absolute wrong thing to do. We absolutely should engage because sometimes when you recognize that even though you're in the heat of it or the thick of it, you could actually cause people to think. And if I get one person to kind of think or go home and research or kind of contemplate what was said, and it causes people to not maybe not even change their mind or their vote, but at least start researching and looking up some data so that they can come from a perspective of education, then I can feel like I have some kind of victory. Now, I fully recognize that there is a true distinction here. There is real Black culture, right? And then there's the Black underclass. And you obviously can't make a call in an entire group of people. I'm usually referring to the Black underclass, which again, probably deserves a show to define who the Black underclass is, what defines the Black underclass, and those kind of characteristics for that distinguished um, to make that distinction. But the monolithic thinking and the origins of the Black underclass really does need to be understood fully. So I'm willing to do an episode on that in, in the future here. But essentially for this conversation, this episode, I'm, I'm referring to those who think it's okay to not vote, yet riot in the streets and vandalize properties and businesses. It's those who think it's okay to quote unquote, get all you can get and screw over America, to lie, to steal, to cheat, to hustle, whatever. It's those who are always looking for the hustle, the hookup. It's those who shame other Blacks for being educated and articulate and well-spoken, um, who have a strong grasp on the English language with a vocabulary and effective communication skills. I'm talking about those who shun calling the police if it means, you know, ratting out a Black perpetrator. I'm talking about those who believe that the family structure is not possible or worse yet, not necessary in order to raise responsible children who grow into, you know, responsible adults in our society. It's those who protest a police involved incident of blacks, but have nothing to say when 40 plus black people are shot and wounded in one weekend in Chicago. Of course, when I raised up those issues, I was called an Oreo. Now, when I asked if they knew who Margaret Sanger was, no one in the room knew. No one. When I asked if they knew about Malcolm X's warning to be leery of white liberals, no one had heard about it. No one even knew about it. When I brought up the scandal surrounding Black Lives Matter, their failure and their misuse and abuse of funds, it really, really set them off. This just completely ignited the room. And this is when the name calling really, really got started. And when I discussed Booker, Booker T. Washington's stance on opportunity or MLK's real vision to judge by the character and content, not color of the skin, they said that that was no longer relevant, right? I was told that the facts were um, white 
talking points used to shut down the black race, right? So the facts, the data, the research, the references, those are just quote unquote white talking points used to take down the black race and to hold them back. David Horowitz said that civilizations, civilizations die when they cease to believe in themselves. They lose the will to defend themselves and thus the will to survive. So it was so clear to me that the black race has far too many members who have just given up, okay, who have decided through ignorance and complacency and manipulative influences such as leaders and influencers and the media to just go along. And there are people out there, they're counting on this. White liberals are counting on this. Woke mob is counting on on that very, that very thing. It's so obvious to me and so many of you listening as well that race is used as a weapon against conservatives, traditional values, and against our country. The chief weapon of the secular realm is race. Routinely, the U.S. is called by celebrities and the media and progressives the entire Democratic Party and corporation and corporate corporate entities, they're called white supremacists. We are a white supremacist nation, they say. That notion is heavily marketed in the black community by the left, and it's actually bought. It's accepted. When you have America's first black president say that racism is America's DNA and is transmitted through the generations, that has impact, even though the exact opposite is true. For those who do no research, they do not read or study or refer other bits of information in order to gain knowledge from opposite differing perspectives. They're easily led. They're easily misled. They're easily manipulated and they're easily distracted. But fortunately, their fundamental belief system is easily disproven and destroyed. The problem isn't in the rhetorical system or the talking points. It's in the belief system, the system that pokes at emotion. It takes the experiences of struggle, history, and trauma and mix it with radicalism disguised as overdue retribution. And it causes me to bang my head. Victimhood sells in the Black community as sex does in the porn industry. Therein lies the dilemma. So by way of the Democratic Party, what I'm consuming may not be good for me, but boy, do I like how it feels. I mean, let's think about it. What have been the benefits of LBJ's war on poverty? What's been the benefit of welfare, not just to blacks, but to American citizens in general? What have been the benefits of the Department of Education for our children, particularly in public schools? What's been the benefit of black people showing up in record numbers voting for Joe Biden in order to keep Trump out? Is life better for blacks in this country because of those results? David Horowitz said it best when he said, liberty is America's DNA, individual freedom. Which brings me to how I concluded my conversation with these radical, anti-American, anti-Black Marxists that I had. It was a perfect situation and a conversation that called for some savage truths. See, we have a terrible, destructive supply and demand issue in our country. 
We have an incredible low supply of racism and an incredible demand to try to fulfill it. We've created racism where it doesn't exist or belong. We've tried to turn everyone into a racial aggressor, one against another, which now has manifested into a destructive anti-white movement in this country, where the focus should absolutely be about character, not skin color. Whites do not hate blacks. They don't hunt blacks down. They don't set out to hurt blacks or have an agenda to kill blacks in this country. There isn't a single statistic that affirms that. The savage truth is, in fact, the opposite is true. America is the least racist, most inclusive, multiracial accepting country in the history of the planet. And there is no better time to be black and alive in America than today. We want to strive for a country that cares for the soul and the spirit of the individual, not the color of their skin or the tribes or the amount of melanin they had. Hear this? That's me, right? Banging my head on this issue. (laughs) There is no white boogeyman. There's no white boogeyman lurking around the corner. There are no random nooses pre-tied hanging in nooses. There aren't any white people walking around with ropes in their backpacks looking for an opportunity to hang some black people from a tree or from, you know, some pole somewhere. There isn't an operative field plan by law enforcement to kill as many black people as possible or erase them from society. And I choose. I choose to be not a victim or take on the victim status, period. We have people who wake up every single day looking for a reason to be oppressed, looking for a reason to cry and make excuses to blacksplain why they're not in a position to go out and win. My skin color is not a disability. It's an accessory and it's uncontrolled. I cannot control it. And it's not controlled by any man. I'm black today. I'll be black tomorrow. I've been black all my life. And that has been a personal enrichment for me personally and to my entire life. We can, without a doubt, be proud to be black Americans without telling whites that they can't be proud of who they are. There is an obvious, overt, destructive movement to divide us to break America and the foundation upon which it was built. And I want to live the dream of MLK, not Barack Obama. Obama's America, you can keep it. It's dismal. It's broke. It's unsuccessful. It's average and mediocre. It's racially divided. It's ugly. It's unsafe. It's uneducated. It's confused. It's complicated and captive by tyrannical elitists who hate the idea of a prosperous, thriving, free nation. So, you know, it wasn't a fun conversation, but it was necessary. There were moments where they had to literally stop and think about the facts. And I believe I've made some headway, but the important thing is to engage and to not back down. And I've held that position, even if Half the black population, I've said this before, I don't know if I've said it on the show here on this podcast, but I have this position that even if half, half of the black population left the Democratic Party, this country would be 
realigned to its former glory because the Dems' favorite voting block is still Black America. Not specifically because it actually cares for Blacks in this country, but because the loyalty is needed for votes and influence on culture. All the elitists count on Blacks remaining angry about race, ignorant about history, and monolithic in their thinking and their voting. But if, just if, Blacks decided to return to its original voting party and rededicate and commit to behaviors and pursuits and endeavors of the Jim Crow era, without the legal racism laws, of course, America gets back to winning. Think about the impact on leadership, on crime and education and abortion. That would result in patriotism waves like we haven't seen in quite some time, but way overdue. So how about it, Black America? How about embracing red, white, and blue before Black and see where we land all together? Now, I started out this episode kind of giving you some of the And that's just some. There was some swearing involved. I left that out. And some of the name calling got really kind of nasty. But I never actually got afraid. But it got pretty nasty. Now, I said that, uh, you know, my black membership is pending. But uh, I now have to uh, imagine this. Imagine me having to go back, you know, and face this NNRC. (laughs) Uh, NNRC, the National Negro Relations Citizenship Board. Now, I just made that up. But seriously, imagine a panel, right? Nancy Pelosi, Joy Behar, Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, of course, and Elizabeth Warren and Bill de Blasio. You know, people who really, truly understand what it's like to be black in America. Um, Imagine me having to stand before them to plead my case. And, you know, it would be a semi, you know, they would have me plead my case and they would ask me some questions and I would just plead my case to, you know, remain black in America and to keep my membership. And here's what I would say. I think, you know, I'm from a single family household. I grew up poor. I voted for Obama once. I love chicken and watermelon, right? I eat chicken on a regular basis, watermelon and tend to be just a summer thing, but I do absolutely love it without a doubt. And I'm proud to say that I am a great dancer. I can sing. I'm not much of a baller, but I do watch the NBA and the NFL on a regular basis. And I can talk sports with any guy um, and more so than the average female. I'm not a strong swimmer. And, uh, you know, that's me pleading my case. And I think they would say, you know, you sound great, but we have three questions. Did you vote for Hillary? Do you have any kids out of wedlock? And are you pro-choice? And of course, I would have to answer no, no, no. And then the chair would emerge, the head honcho of the NNRC, Chelsea Hadler, who has final say, would slam her mail and say, we'll send a decision in the mail. You're dismissed. Oh, just a little humor, folks. But seriously, this is uh, this is my life and this is what it's like. And um, I do appreciate your listening. Please like and subscribe and share and listen and leave a positive review. And remember, please be bold, be strong, be faithful, be true. Until next time, folks, I will catch you in the next episode. 
The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis is a production of Front Page Magazine and the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.